So over the last several weeks, we've been sharing this worship series called Heroes Living a Story Worth Telling. Now, several weeks ago when we started the series, I asked you the question, what makes a hero? And since you gave such good responses, I'm going to ask you again. What makes a hero? God. God makes a hero. That's a good answer. Someone willing to stand up for what's right. Someone willing to stand up for what for what's right. That's a good answer. Anyone else? What makes a hero? Kindness. Kindness. Kindness and integrity. Courage. Courage. All different uh, elements of a hero. Heroes come in many different shapes and sizes, don't they? Uh, but one thing I think that's true is that a hero today is someone who uses the gifts that God has given them to make a difference in the world. So here, here, a hero may come in the form of rescuing, like, like uh, Superman, or a firefighter, or um, someone else who rescues. Or a hero may come in the form of compassion, as in Mother Teresa, or a nurse, or that friend that's always there when you need a listening ear. Or a hero may come in the form of extraordinary character or leadership or integrity, as in Nelson Mandela or Oscar Romero or that seventh grade teacher that made such an impact in your life when you really needed it the most. Heroes come in lots of different shapes and sizes, but all of them, I think, inspire us to be more like them. Are heroes perfect? I hope that you've heard loud and clear through this series that heroes are not perfect. Even the biblical heroes had many flaws, many, many flaws. Every hero we've talked about in this series was far from perfect. Most of them, in fact, have some kind of weakness, in spite of which God chooses them. God chooses them in spite of their weakness, their flaw, their failure, and gifts them and uses them for God's purpose in the world. Do you remember what Superman's weakness was? Kryptonite. Kryptonite. What's kryptonite? This strange sort of radioactive material from his home planet, Krypton, right? And what would happen when Superman would come in contact with kryptonite? He'd lose all his powers, right? Kryptonite would render him completely weak and defenseless. And that's one of the things I love about the superheroes that, that we read in comic books as a kid or watched in movies is that even, even the superheroes have areas of weakness. So last week, or not last week, the week before last, as you might have heard, I spent the week at Camp Metuana, which is our United Methodist camp in Winthrop, for middle school rally camp. I was one of the leaders of middle school rally camp. So there were 34 middle schoolers with us for, I didn't think there was for that really, really hot week. And guess what our theme for the week was? Heroes. 
Heroes! <laughs> superheroes, actually. So we wore Superman, superhero capes and did all kinds of crazy things. So you might think that I'm just not very creative, but actually, the leaders of our, of our camp chose this theme a year ago, and it's just sort of a coincidence that it coincided with this worship series. But anyway, a nice coincidence. So we spent the week drawing parallels between biblical heroes and everyday heroes. We had several guests come in and speak about th things that they do that are heroic in their own way. And we encouraged the youth to think about how they might respond to the gifts that God has given them to be heroes in the lives of others. So during one of our program times, we had the youth write down on little index cards what kryptonite was for them. In other words, some place of weakness in their life, or some place of struggle, or some aspect of their life that left them feeling defenseless. They wrote, and they wrote, and they wrote. They really opened their hearts. They wrote some really honest things. They wrote some really tough things. Some of their responses were heartbreaking. And in a few minutes, I'm going to share a little bit more about that. But first, I want to share a little bit from our, um, our scripture story from today, which is the story of David. Now, what do you know about David from the Bible? What do you know? He shot a rock at the giant. You got that. And that's the story we're going to hear today. What else do you know about David? Bathsheba. Bathsheba. David was not perfect, right? That's right. David had weaknesses of his own. He had an affair with Bathsheba, and then what? To make matters worse. He had Uriah that he killed. Put him in the front of the battle, so he was sure to die. So he arranged the, the death of Bathsheba's husband so that he could have her, right? So not perfect. And this is after he was king. That's right. Right? Yeah. So David was far from perfect, and yet... As you read the Hebrew scriptures and even into the New Testament, David is lifted up as this amazing king, and Jesus is in the line of King David, right? For, for generations, the promise that there would be another king like David. So it's important to remember that even the biblical heroes are far from perfect, and yet God used them anyway. So today we're going to hear a story before all of that stuff. Before, even before David's friendship with Jonathan, before David wrote many of the Psalms that we find in our Old Testament, the story of David as a young boy and his encounter with the giant Goliath. So listen to these words. The Philistines assembled their troops for war at Soko of Judah. They camped between Soko and Azekah at Ephes Demin. I'm not pronouncing this right. Saul and the Israelite army assembled and camped in the Elah Valley, where they got organized to fight the Philistines. So we have the Philistines on one side, right? We have the Israelite army on the other side. And who's the king of the Israelites at this point? Saul. Okay? So they're, at, they're, at, they're in battle position. The Philistines took positions on one hill, while Israel took positions on the other hill, and there was a valley between them. Can you picture this scene? A champion named Goliath from Gath came out from the Philistine camp. He was more than nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore bronze scale armor, weighing 125 pounds. He had bronze plates on his shins and a bronze sitamar hung on his back. 
His spear shaft was as strong as a bar on a weaver's loom, and its iron head weighed 15 pounds. His shield bearer walked in front of him. So can you picture this big nine foot, we call him a giant, but he's nine feet tall, and he's covered from head to toe with iron armor, right? This guy Bronze is... Armor. What's that? Bronze. Bronze armor, thank you. This guy is defended, right? And he's ready to defend the Philistine army. How do you think the Israelites are feeling right now? Scared. A little scared. Defeated, right? He stopped and shouted to the Israelite troops, Why have you come and taken up battle formations? I am the Philistine champion, and you are Saul's servants. Isn't that right? Select one of your men and let him come down against me. If he is able to fight against me and kill me, then we will, we will become your slaves. But if I overcome you, and, or I overcome him and kill him, then you will become our slaves and you will serve us. I insult Israelites' troops today. I love that he says that. I insult Israelites' troops today. Just in case they weren't sure what he's doing, yeah. he's telling them, I am insulting you right now. Do you feel insulted? The Philistine continued, Give me an opponent and we'll fight. When Saul and all Israel heard what the Philistines said, they were distressed and terrified. Distressed and terrified. Now David was Jesse's son, an Ephraimite from Bethlehem. Interesting, he's from Bethlehem, right? Got that? In Judah, who had eight sons. By Saul's time, Jesse was already quite old and far along in age. So I'm going to skip a little bit of the story, but now we find out a little bit more uh, about David and his family. How many brothers does he have? Seven. Seven. He has seven brothers. And where in the birth order is he? The youngest. The, the older brothers are already in Saul's army, and they're in that battle formation. Does anyone know what David did? What, what, what did he do sort of for work? He was a shepherd. He was a shepherd boy. So kind of the, on the, low, the lowest rung of this family ladder, right? So for 40 days, Goliath torments the Israelites, and they're terrified. One day, Jesse sends David, the youngest son, to find his older brothers in the Israelite troops. He sends them... Uh, he sends David with some cheese to, to deliver to them, and he wants to find out how they're doing, and he wants David to come back with news from the battle lines. So just as he arrives, the Israelite troops and the Philistine troops are once again in battle formation opposite each other. And what does David do? He runs straight to the front line. That's where we'll pick it up. Right when David was speaking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came forward from the Philistine ranks and said the same things he had said before. David listened. When the Israelites saw Goliath, every one of them ran away terrified. Now the Israelite soldiers had been saying to each other, Do you see this man who keeps coming out? How he keeps coming to insult Israel? The king will reward with great riches whoever kills that man. The king will give his own daughter to him and make his household exempt from taxes in Israel. David asked the soldiers standing by him, What will be done for the person who kills this Philistine over there and removes this insult from Israel? Who is that Philistine anyway? 
that he can get away with insulting the army of the living God. Then the troops repeated to him what they had been saying. So that's what will be done for the man who kills him, they said. When David's older brother, Eliab, heard him talking to the soldiers, he got very mad at David. Why did you come down here, he said. Who is watching those few sheep for you in the wilderness? I know how arrogant you are and your devious plan. You came down here just to see the battle. What did I do wrong this time, David replied. It was just a question. So David turned to someone else and asked the same thing, and the people said the same thing in reply. The things David had said were overheard and reported to Saul, who sent for him. Don't let anyone lose courage because of this Philistine, David told Saul. I, your servant, will go out and fight him. What do you think? Is this a good idea? Bad idea. You can't go out and fight this Philistine, Saul answered David. You're still a boy, but he's a warrior. And he's been a warrior since he was a boy. Your servant has kept his father's sheep, David replied. And if ever a lion or a bear came and carried off one of the flock, I would go after it and strike it and rescue the animals from its mouth. If it turned on me, I would grab it at its, at its jaw, strike it, and kill it. Your servant has fought both lions and bears. This Philistine will be just like one of them, because he has insulted the army of the living God. The Lord, David added, who rescued me from the power of both lions and bears, will rescue me from the power of this Philistine. Go, Saul replied to David, and may the Lord be with you. He's putting a little, more, little too much confidence in this young boy, don't you think? But then Saul dressed David in his own gear, putting a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David strapped his sword on over the armor, but he couldn't even walk around well because he had never tried it before. I can't even walk in this, David told Saul. I've never tried it before. So he took them all off. And then he grabbed his staff and chose five smooth stones from the stream bed. He put them in the pocket of his shepherd's bag and with his sling in hand went out to the Philistine. The Philistine got <clears throat> closer and closer to David and his shield bearer was in front of him. When the Philistine looked David over, he sneered at David because he was just a boy, reddish-brown and good-looking. The Philistine asked David, Am I some sort of dog that you come at me with sticks? And he cursed David by his own gods. Come here, he said to David, and I'll feed your flesh to the wild birds and the wild animals. But David told the Philistine, You are coming against me with sword, spear, and cinnamar. But I come against you in the name of the Lord of heavenly forces, the God of Israel's army, the one you've insulted. Today the Lord will hand you over to me. I will strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will feed your dead body and the dead bodies of the entire Philistine camp to the wild birds and the wild animals. Okay, so this story is a little gruesome. Then the whole world will know that there is a God on Israel's side. And all those gathered here will know that the Lord doesn't save by means of sword and spear. The Lord owns this war and will hand all of you over to us. So the Philistine got up and moved closer to attack David. And David ran quickly to the front line to face him. 
David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone. He slung it and hit the Philistine on his forehead. The stone penetrated his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. One stone, right? Not bad. And that is how David triumphed over the Philistine, with just a sling and a stone, striking the Philistine down and killing him. And David didn't even have a sword. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine. He grabbed the Philistine's sword, drew it from his sheath, and finished him off. And then David cut off the Philistine's head with the sword. Told you it was a little person. Then the Philistines saw, when the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they fled. Yeah, right. I bet. So it's a little bit of a gruesome story, and I don't want to glamorize the violence of it, but I think that this story does have something to teach us, especially if we read the story a bit metaphorically. So let's talk about this story a little bit metaphorically. David is clearly the hero in this story, right? And in many ways, he is an unlikely hero, isn't he? An unlikely hero. He's an underdog. He's naive. He's unequipped for battle in more ways than one. But he had God on his side. But he had God on his side, that's right. So when David finally convinces Saul that he should let him go and fight Goliath, because after all, he has fought lions and bears and came out victorious, right? And surely Goliath is no different than a lion or a bear, right? Um, when he finally does that, what does Saul do? Remember? He dresses him up. He dresses him up in what? In Saul's armor. That didn't work so well. First of all, it was too big. And secondly, David had no experience walking in helmets and sitamars and shields. David could not be someone else. David couldn't be Saul. David could only be David, right? David could only be the person that God created him to be and called him to be. And then that be those beautiful words that David says to Goliath. He says, You are coming against me with sword, spear, and sidomar, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of heavenly forces, the God of Israel's army, the one you've insulted. Today the Lord will hand you over to me. What is he saying? I'm not coming against you with earthly weapons, but what I have on my side is the strength of God. That's what he's saying. And I wonder how, <clears throat> if we think of that metaphorically, I wonder how that might be helpful as we think about the challenges that we face in life. David relies fully on God. Not in his own strength, not in his own abilities, not on sword, or armor, or any other kind of earthly power. David knows he will come out again, come out ahead, only if he relies fully on God. So how about you? Where is God calling you to move out of your comfort zone, to confront the Goliath in your own life? 
Where is God calling you to rely more fully on God? I think that's, what, that's the question that this story invites us to think about. Not to rely on your own strength or your own ability, but on God's strength and God's ability. I don't know what kind of Goliath you have in your life, but I bet if you think about it, you can think of one. So back to the middle schoolers at camp. Do you want to hear some of the things they wrote on those cards? Yeah. They wrote about family problems, about parents who were divorced, about not getting along with siblings. They wrote about parents who never listen. They wrote about feeling bullied in school. They wrote about feeling like they have no friends that they can count on. About addiction, their own addiction and their parents' addiction. They wrote about body image concerns, about fear and doubt and regret. One person wrote, I never believe in myself. Another person wrote, I don't know what love feels like. These are middle schoolers. On Thursday, we read all of the cards aloud, <coughs> anonymously, because none of the cards had names on them anyway. And then we divided them into small groups to talk about what they had heard and to pray over them. And then we read this story, the story of David and Goliath, and we invited them to imagine themselves as David and to imagine that the things that they had written on their own cards were the Goliath in their lives. So I know I'm mixing lots of metaphors here because we've got Krypton and Goliath and David and stones and all kinds of things here, but can you see how this all sort of connects? We all have things that we struggle with in life. Things that leave us feeling defenseless or defeated. Things that threaten to knock us down, or maybe we have tempted to flee in fear like the Israelites. I don't know what the Goliath is in your life, but I know that you have one. Because we all do, right? Maybe it's a relationship that you're really struggling with. <clears throat> or even a relationship that's come to an end and you're in need of healing. Or maybe it's your asylum process and you feel like it's never going to end and you're never going to make it through. Or maybe it's a work situation or a family situation that feels hopeless. Or maybe it's more of a social concern. Maybe it's some kind of situation in the world that you feel God challenging you and calling you to confront, like racism or economic justice, or the violence that our sisters and brothers experience because of their sexual orientation or gender identity. I don't know what the Goliath is in your life, but I know you have one, because we all have one. And I want to invite you to think about what it is for a minute. What did David have besides the strength of God? He had just five little stones, right? Five little stones. I only took one lock. It only took one, but he had four more just in case. <laughs> Five little stones and a, and a slingshot. Do you know what we did with those middle schoolers? We made slingshots. We told them they were making prayer flags, and we gave them each a little piece of canvas to decorate with pens and markers and paint. And then the next day, we turned them into slingshots. And we slung cherry tomatoes into the woods. And we invited them to think about the Goliath in their life and how God would help them to 
defeat whatever challenge it is they were facing. David had just five little stones, but what he really had was this deep and abiding faith in the God who was with him every moment of every day. That even though he was small and Goliath was very, very big, and even though he was unarmed and Goliath was fully armed, what he had on his side was God. He trusted that for God all things are possible. He knew that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. He had faith that could move mountains. He trusted that God would guide him through this. And God surely did. Are you more like the Israelites, living by fear and retreating? Or are you more like David, living by trust? I'm pretty convinced that God does not call us to do things that we can accomplish all by ourselves. God doesn't call us to do the things that we can do by our own strength and ability. God calls us to do things that we can only do if we rely fully on God. I would even go one step further and say, if we only do things in life that we are sure we can accomplish on our own, by our own strength and our own ability, then we are not being faithful. Wrestle with that for a little bit. So this bowl is filled with stones. There's another one over here. And as you come forward for communion today, I want to invite you to take a stone. Take it as you're coming for communion or as you're returning to your seat. And I want to invite you to hold it. And during the course of this week, or maybe even beyond this week, keep it in your pocket. As a reminder, first of whatever Goliath it is that you are facing, but more importantly, as a reminder of the strength of God that is with you every moment of every day and that will surely help you to confront the Goliath in your life. So one final story from middle school camp, and then I'm going to end. At our closing gathering on a Friday afternoon, one of our campers, Nathaniel, who was a seventh grader with a big heart, asked if he could say a few words to the group. So he got right up in front of the whole group and he said, I've been thinking all week about that card where someone wrote, I don't know what love feels like. And he said, that's been bothering me all week because I realize that I take love for granted. I know that my parents love me. I know that my friends love me. I know that God loves me. And I want everyone to feel that, he said. And it hurts me real bad <clears throat> to think that someone in this group doesn't know what love feels like. He said, I don't know which one of you wrote that, and I'm not asking you to tell me. <clears throat> but I just wanted to say, whoever you are, I love you. I love all of you. And God loves you. And you know, if, if you're thinking, I don't know what love feels like, I just want to say, this is what love feels like. Isn't that amazing? A seventh grade boy. Amazing. And it brought tears to my eyes. Actually, I had tears running down my cheeks when he said all this. And it brings tears to my eyes today remembering it.
Last Friday, Nathaniel was a David for all of us. And guess what? You can be a David too. Amen. Let's take a few moments just to be still. Oh, here's some pictures of David and Goliath. I forgot to show these earlier. I love how in the Bible he's nine feet tall, and in all the graphics he's... He's like 40 feet tall, right? I know, isn't it funny? So true. That one maybe is a little more real. But yeah. Yeah. So So let's just take a few moments to be still and know that God is God. This is a beautiful little chorus. These are all... This is the words... Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Just a reminder that God is with us always. Even when we don't feel it, we can have confidence, we can trust that God is still God. And God is with us. And God fills us with strength and hope and peace when we open our hearts to receive Him.